Hey, everybody, the Vintage Strength Games are coming to Clayton, North Carolina on June 2nd to the 4th. June 2nd to the 4th. Go to VintageStrengthGames.com for more information and to sign up. Also, make sure you go on Facebook and you join the Vintage Strength Games Facebook group. Here we are. This meeting is being recorded. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast today. David Dahl, who is from Lynchpin Performance, Kentucky, is back on the podcast the second time uh, in pretty short order. I mean, it was only a few months ago, I think, uh, yeah. you were on, Dave, right? Yeah, just a couple months ago. It's a lot of yeah. fun. So, I mean, for selfish reasons, I, I called you up. I said, hey, man, I'd like to have you come back on the podcast because – I crashed my snowboard, and um, I tore and stretched my AC joint ligaments in my in my right shoulder. Um, you know, the collarbone is popped up. Um, it's it hurts really bad. It's like about three weeks ago that it happened, and um, like I mean, literally, I'm going down the mountain in the sled while you know first aid is bringing me down, and I'm thinking, all right. I got to, you know, grab some steel clubs. I got to grab some steel mace. I got to get in touch with David and I got to figure out how to fix this problem. So that's, you know, pretty much what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about an AC injury, um, AC tear. In my case, it's a type two, type three. It's kind of in between those. Um, but David is going to explain it in more detail because he's a professional physical therapist. And by the way, before uh, we get into it, just a little disclaimer here. This is not medical advice. We're not trying to tell people how to treat themselves at home or anything like that. I went to an ortho orthopedic doctor uh, before I spoke to David, got, you know, all that stuff done. I went actually for uh, PT um, into, to a, a location, which, uh, you know, we'll talk about a little bit more but this is really more for entertainment purposes and maybe, you know, to give you an idea of what you can do. But always explore these options with a professional, a doctor, a certified physical therapist. If you're in the Kentucky area and you have issues, you could call up David. Um, but, yeah, let's let's just uh, dive into it, David. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's my injury, man. Cool. Yeah, so – if you were somebody that, that we're talking to and you're like, hey, physical therapist, AC joint injury, um, we can kind of approach it like that of like, okay, let's let's hear your story. We know there is a, a snowboarding injury. So like I'm assuming you, you fell off your snowboard, you kind of land on the the tip of it. That's pretty typical. Yeah, picture uh, lawn dart. <laughs> yeah. Super on painful. My shoulder. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So instantly, you know something is is kind of gone with that. Uh, did you did you have that that separation right away? So when I reached up in there, yeah. I felt this bone right here, and I said, "Oh, it's broken." And yeah. it just so happened, literally, the one of the reasons why I crashed was because there was already a crash to my left, and the ski patrol oh. was already there, and. Okay. And I kind of went down to a real bad icy patch and lost my edge. So they were there already. When the girl came over and checked me out, 
she was great. They were, oh, man, the ski patrol is some of the best people. She reaches yeah. up in there and she goes, yeah, your shoulder's definitely not where it's supposed to be. Now I'm thinking dislocation. Yeah. And I'm sure. like, no, no, I'd rather have a broken collarbone. And it's right. like dislocation. So thankfully, it's, you know, not a dislocation. It's just the tear. Still would have right. been better if it was a broken collarbone. But, um, yes, so I have this bump right here. It's pretty – it's like almost like a golf ball. I call it Irwin. Yeah. It's my new buddy. That's cute. Love it. I know. Um, yeah, it's a pretty clear indication when you're seeing that they actually call it the piano key sign. So it's like you're hitting a piano key. It's just kind of a step off. And it's just like, yeah, you got an AC joint disruption. So it's a pretty easy differential diagnosis. Hey, we've got some tearing if you're noting that piano key sign. Um, so next step is like, okay, figuring out how bad is this? Because like you said, you have a grade two, grade three. Um, and a lot of that is, is done off of imaging of like, what is going on in there? And if, if you think about that AC joint, the way that it's set up, it's considered a plane joint. Um, so I just think about two sheets of paper, two flat sheets of paper sitting side by side. And so as it, as it moves, it can move up and down, kind of move side to side. And I guess to full, further flesh this out, AC joint, a chromioclavicular joint. So you've got your, your clavicle comes all the way up through here. You've got your um, scapula. And then on the end of the scapula is something called your chromium, which kind of curls around. And those are the two things that create that joint. And so your shoulder joint is like a ball in a socket. So you know, you've got socket, you got a ball, and it's operating within that. And so it creates a lot more stability in that, that glenohumeral ball and socket joint versus a plane joint. Um, another interesting thing about the AC joint is that there, there are no muscular connections that create inherent stability surrounding that joint. It's, it's purely ligamentous. And so, and that's, I think, what sometimes can make it so complex, especially throughout the rehab process, is you're dealing with ligament damage, you're dealing with stretching, you're dealing with tears. And so, yeah, first step is kind of to figure out how, how bad are we talking? You know, like what kind of grades do you have? And I know like a grade one, that, that's probably the, the most common uh, where it's just like a strain. You know, it's just like, man, things are a little bit angry in through here. Doesn't, doesn't do too much. A grade two, that's going to be a complete tear of your AC ligaments. So that's kind of right up and through here, those things ripped off. Um, and then it can also incorporate a, a sprain or like a partial tear of some other ligaments. They're called your coracoclavicular ligaments. So more ligaments kind of in through here. Um, now a grade three is going to be a complete tear of both of those. And so grade three is, is, is kind of the you're sitting on the fence of, of what direction are you going to go in terms of rehab. And so um, grade one and two, absolutely conserve the measures or where it's at. Grade three um, used to be, it used to be just like, yeah, just go get surgery on it. Um, get that fixed up. You're good. Um, rehab is getting to the point now and research is getting to the point now where it's mostly treated by a conservative measure. Most people do not need surgery with a grade three um, AC joint injury. Um, then you've got six grades of that. You got a grade four, five, and, and six as well. And they just equally get worse and worse and worse. If grade three is complete separation of everything, how could there be even more? How is there a grade six? <laughs> yeah. And so 
it deals a lot with like where where the clavicle is displaced. So oftentimes like that clavicle can be superior displaced. That's like a, a grade six, grade seven, inferior displaced um, or like a posterior displaced, meaning being pushed kind of backwards. And so all of those are, uh, I mean, they can impinge a lot of structures in the area. You might be dealing with some clavicle fractures within that as well. And so to get those relocated and to get those stable is typically going to require a, a surgical approach for grade four, five, and six. And so that, that's the first thing that I typically, if I'm hopping on the phone with somebody, hey, we know we've got an AC joint injury. Um, if it was something traumatic like yours, be like, what'd your x-ray say? What'd your MRI say? What did your ortho say? So that, that's kind of the first step that I take people through. Now, uh, I didn't, my, my orthopedic doctor, um, who has been around for a while and came highly recommended. Um, not saying anything negative about him, but he never sent me for an MRI. Everybody was telling me, oh, he's going to send you for an MRI. He never sent me. Um, he also said, I don't need to wear the sling that the hospital gave me. Um, and I was uh, you know, under the impression the sling helped pull the arm up, like mm -hmm. closing that stretch. That's just me being a goofball. I'm obviously sure. making stuff up as I go along here, <laughs> but um, yeah, I never went for an MRI. Do you know why a doctor, like I always pictured a doctor would definitely send you for MRI because the more pictures, the more information, the better. Right. Well, I mean, with an x-ray, one, uh, financially speaking, an x-ray is a lot cheaper. It's a lot faster to get in. Um, and you can tell just from the bony landmarks of, hey, this is completely, you know, separated up that way. Or I should say separated like that. I can tell, is there a clavicle, uh, you know, disruption in terms of like placement superior, inferior, or is it broken? And so those are going to, that's going to be like the first line of defense is go get that x-ray. Let's see how bad this is. From there, like we said, grade one through three is going to be very uh, much so conservatively managed. And so why drop, you know, five grand on an MRI if you can okay. get an x-ray and say, hey, I don't see a clavicle broken. I don't see that crazy displacement. Uh, we'll call it grade two, grade three, somewhere in there. Go go get some PT. Okay. And so just from the finances um, perspective, um, that, that's really all you need. Some people will. Like if you're starting to get some you know, like tingling down your arms, or you're getting some of those weird neurologic symptoms, or your um, arms turning funny colors. It's like, yeah, maybe maybe get that checked out with some in more deep and more depth imaging. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's. I hope that answers the question. It's just yeah. practicality. Yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, get that out there in case people were experiencing the same and like, should I get an MRI? I don't know. So yeah, it just makes sense. Like you don't necessarily have to do every test in the book. It's waste. This podcast is brought to you by AddixClub.com. AddixClub.com for adjustable steel mace and adjustable steel club. Have you seen these things? Have you checked them out? Go to AddixClub.com and take a look at what they have. These are state-of-the-art mace technology at its finest made in the USA. Look at the Addix arc. It's in between lengths of the clubs and the mace. So the, the club is the shortest, the arc is the next longest, and then the mace is the longest. But most people only train with either clubs or mace. How often do they go with an in-betweener? Technically, 
arc is nothing more than a bulva, a short mace. Uh, but we don't call it that because we call it the arc. So go check it out. Check out everything there. And when you place your order, tell Don Fred sent you. Full time, time consuming. Now, uh, with this, with this clavicle, this bump, what mm -hmm. I was told was it's it's basically the clavicle is up because the ligament that was pulling it down, like a rope pulling it down or a chain pulling it down, that is that is disconnected. It's torn. It's stretched. So the bone is sticking up. Is that correct? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, that that's sticking up. Those those ligaments are just disrupted. And um, if you think about your shoulder complex, like there are three true joints, there is one false joint. Um, and I'll kind of explain what that means. But with your shoulder joint, the three true joints are your, your glenohumeral joints, so the ball and socket. You've got your AC joint, what we're talking about. You've got your sternoclavicular joint. So those are all true joints. But then you've also got the connection between your scapula, your scapula and your thoracic cavity, so like your ribs. So it kind of operates like a joint. It's not a real joint. And the way the scapula works, there are so many muscles that attach to it. It's a system of weights and balances and like pulleys and whatnot. And so then if you change the equation of, hey, I'm going to take out some stability right through here. Well, that was the, a, a counter pressure for something as well. And so now there's something pulling a little bit harder than it ought to with, with no countermeasure to it. So you're going to get disruption of that joint. Ah, okay. So, so besides the clavicle popping up, there could also be other areas that are now being affected by this. Um, like my question is uh, right in the front here, mm -hmm. it's, it's always sore and tight. It's hard to do a push-up, even like I can't even do a wall push-up uh, effectively. I can do one a little bit, but you know it hurts, and I don't want to take the chance. So, uh, is this area um, like that because of the fact that you know there's like certain pressure taken off or something like that? Yeah, and I mean you're dealing with an an unstable structure right now. And so if you're thinking about the movements that are going to put a lot of stress on that shoulder, the AC has some very particular ones and one of them being shoulder extension. So kind of pulling that shoulder back like that, that typically causes quite a bit of strain. Um, pulling the arm across the shoulder like that, that's going to create a lot of issues. Yep. Um, when you're, you're moving kind of overhead in this abduction, there's something called like the painful arc, right? So like right at 90 degrees, you've got pain and then you can kind of get through it yeah. And then that, that last several degrees, it starts to hurt again. Yes, and, yes, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I have. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things of, of like, one, we want to restore your mobility back, but we also want to focus on stability and understanding that there's going to be a lot of pressure points, the ones that we just discussed, that are going to piss some things off because it's unstable. Like, we, we should listen to our body, and uh, pain is just a message. And it's just saying, hey, back off. And it's, it's almost like an alarm system. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. When we get that pain message, listen to it, right? Listen, listen to it. Your body is very smart. 
Um, sometimes the, the pain message is hard to decipher and, and dissect, but it's, it's like a home alarm. It doesn't tell you, you know, somebody broken through the window, there's a fire, there's smoke. It's just like, there's something going on. We need to do something about it. And um, I often tell people, it's so funny, like if you're not funny, if you're having a heart attack, it's a very serious thing. But when you have a heart attack, it's like your heart is dying. Okay, how does your body raise an alarm? Like, okay, you might have some chest tightness, but it's like, man, my jaw hurts or my, my arm is really achy or my low back hurts. And it's like, how like silly is that? Of yeah. Like part of your heart is literally dying and this is how your body chooses to create an alarm. So I think and, uh, it's not very good at telling you exactly what's going on, but it, it's a warning and it's an opportunity for change. So when somebody is starting a, a rehab program for like an AC joint, the biggest thing is like, do you have full range of motion? Like let's work on that range of motion. Let's restore, you know, your shoulder flexion, shoulder abduction, you know, all the ro rotation components of it. And then it's work, let's work on stability. Like that is the first and foremost thing. Push-ups will come. Um, and it's like, how simple is a push-up? How simple is a wall push-up? And it can I, cause so much pain. Yeah. yeah. Well, pain. that's what it is. I, I, I was like, well, let me see how this feels. And I'm trying this wall push-up. And it, it just hurts. And I'm listening yeah. to the pain. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it then. I'm just not going right. to play that game right now, especially when it's only been like a two weeks since I hurt myself. Um so I, I, now I do want to talk with you how to exercise, but I have one last question I want to, uh, before I forget it. So I mentioned how the bone is popped up, the clavicles popped up. We've talked about how there's a stretch there. So the, the space in there is elongated, basically. Mm -hmm. So how does this thing heal properly if the bone is up? Because... I could understand the body is going to say, okay, ligaments should be tighter and it's going to start healing and the, the ligaments are going to pull in and they're going to get, they're going to shrink a little bit, but the space is bigger now than right. on this side. So isn't that going to be a problem? Yes and no. Um, so oftentimes it doesn't, it doesn't relocate. It sometimes relocates. I'm working with a guy right now. Uh, he had a spontaneous relocation a couple of years afterwards. It, the, bone, the bone went down. It went down. Yeah. What do you mean spontaneous? Like he was just like playing you know, tennis and all of a sudden it went pop and it went, just went in? He, he felt it clicked back in. It's, it's been a couple of years. Holy it, moly. That doesn't happen a lot. Um, what typically happens is, is you maintain that piano key sign where you got that dislocation of sorts. And what your body will tend to do over a period of time is actually lay down a little bit of arthritis to close that gap. Mm. And so to create stability for itself. Um, and those ligaments, if they are still intact, they're going to be able to heal and tighten up over time. Those take forever. Ligaments take a very What's long forever? time. So, oh gosh. Um, several months, several like, months for a ligament. Several to, is like more than two to, in my mind. More than like, two, more than two. Yeah. And of course, depending on the degree of ligament injury, like, is it a partial tear? Is it, um, a full tear? Is like, is it hanging on by a, a strand? Um, it's, there's all going to be different healing times and it, it takes quite a bit longer than muscular healing times. And so that's one component of it as well. But yeah, the focus at first is one pain reduction, kind of identify some of the things that are 
causing pain and kind of have a working list of like, okay, pushups are out right now. Like front squats are, are typically out. Like anything that has like direct pressure on there, it's going to be a lot. Like dips are like going to suck yeah. really bad. No good with dips. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like exploring, like being, being curious of like, okay, what can I do? Like, don't go low 225 on a bench press just to see if you can do it after an AC joint injury. Like that's a stupid idea. All right. But, I was uh, going to try that tomorrow. Well, let me cross yeah. that off my let's, list. <laughs> let's not do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just being intelligent, being curious. What can I do? Let's get that range of motion, listening to your body, um, your body's signals as a guide and then starting to hit stability that that's kind of the focus and then we get there we get to stability by providing it with exercising so with me um i don't want to say anything bad about people uh i did go to a physical therapist maybe they were being very gentle with me because you know i was new and they didn't want to make it worse but they gave me an exercise and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Oh boy. So I was sitting in a chair uh, and they put a towel on the table next to me and they had me go back and forth with the towel. Like I was cleaning the table. They said, but don't put pressure down into the table, just back yeah. and forth. And the first thing that crossed my mind was I could be home vacuuming right now and I would be getting the same exact stimulus and I would be finishing all my chores before my wife comes home and kills me because yeah. she doesn't care i'm hurt she just wants me she's go oh, good you're you're out of work for a while stay home and clean the house now that's all yeah. that she cares yeah. <laughs> so my my thing here is um isn't there something more i should be doing as as you were telling me about that exercise i was thinking back to to my time i was like oh yeah i've used that exercise with my 80 year olds post shoulder surgery they respond really well to that. <laughs> and um, like it, it's, it's not a bad exercise. It might be a wrongly prescribed one for you and where you're at right now. Like if you are just coming off of a surgery or you've got, I don't know, like um, frozen shoulder or something, or we just like really need to stretch the fire out of it. Like that might be an okay exercise. Um, if you're somebody that's coming in with Hey, I can, I can fully go overhead. I can move. I can do it's like that exercise is a waste of your time. And when typically when somebody is coming in um, and as we've got full range of motion, there are, are three things in the acute phase, um, kind of the phase that you're in now, fresh new injury that I like to work on if the range of motion is good. What's the um, length of time for the acute phase? Is that one to three weeks, one to five weeks, or how does that, how do you range that? At least for the first month or so, okay. um, we're going to be in a, in a very heavy protect phase. Right, because there's still a lot of inflammation going on. A lot of things are really angry. Um, I mean, with a traumatic fall, it's like there's a lot of things that might pop up as well. You're like, you know, I didn't notice it at first because the pain was so bad here, but my back is jacked up or this is messed up. And so, like, things start to come to light. And so, you're in this protect phase of like, don't do anything stupid, get your range of motion, um, figure out, you know, what you can do, what you can't do. And when somebody enters the PT realm, uh, I, I try to identify right off. Like typically we've got a diagnosis. Like, do you have that, that deformity? Do you not? Um, what grade are we looking at? And then it, it's a fairly, I shouldn't say simple because it's all case by case, but I will look at one at thoracic mobility. 
you know, that that's primary. How well are we rotating that mid back? Because if you think about the scat or the thoracic vertebrae, it's supposed to be very highly rotational, it's supposed to be very highly being able to move. When you have limited thoracic mobility, you can you would have to use your scapula a lot more. That scapula is forced now to become hypermobile. So it's forced to move a lot more than it's typically supposed to move in order to get the range of motion that you need to get. And so if you have limited thoracic mobility, it's gonna put a lot of extra strain on that scapula. And we remember the scapula, you know, the acromion comes off of the, the scapula. So that's gonna put a lot of stress on that joint as well. Also puts a lot of stress on that rotator cuff. And so scapular uh, mobility is something pretty easy to work on. I also look at the um, lower trap, right? So if you think of the trap as kind of like a big triangular muscle, lower trap is going to be a big support for any overhead motion. And a lot of athletes have underdeveloped or are underactivated with their lower traps. And so we're going to start working on some lower trap activation, and we're going to start working on some serratus anterior activation. The serratus anterior, it's another scapular muscle. It's a, it's a big scapular stabilizer. They call it the boxer's muscle. So like if you're, you're trying to punch somebody, um, you know, going just a little bit further like that, that's what's going to activate that serratus anterior. If you're re-racking a, a barbell from a bench press, that's activating that serratus anterior. Um, when, when the serratus anterior, when the lower trap are not firing as effectively as they ought to, that scapula tends to tilt forward, right? And so when that scapula tilts forward, that's going to mess with that AC joint. And so by activating those, getting them firing, getting them stronger, it's a relatively um, just low volatility in terms of, okay, this, this doesn't hurt. It's not very difficult for you right now to train lower traps. It's not very difficult for you to do thoracic mobility or serratus anterior things. And so while we're still in that protect phase, that is a perfect time to capitalize on things that might hinder the healing process later on. That is amazing. So you, yeah, you're working out the areas around the injury site, but mm -hmm. they are those workouts are directly affecting the injury site because of Certainly. everything you just explained. There's a, a, a connective chain to all these things. Certainly. So you're starting yeah. kind of far out and like, hey, let's let's rope this in. All right, let's move to here. Let's move to here. Let's get closer to the injury site. Meanwhile, the injury site's actually getting healthier because you're doing all these other things. It's stacking up. Exactly. And so then it's all like I always tell people, find the find the hardest thing that you do well. Like listen to pain. I always tell people about a, a stoplight analogy where like if it hurts really bad, don't do it. If there's no pain roll with it. The, the yellow light or the proceed with caution is, hey, if I'm lifting and that, that pain is moving from like a two or three and now it's a five or a six, it's a proceed with caution. Uh, if it keeps climbing, stop. Um, or you can now introduce different variables of what else can I do to get the same stimulus that is intended for that exercise, but making that five or six level pain lower. Um, the other thing that I'll give them is like, hey, maybe it jumps up to a five or a six, stays there. But if that does not die back down in the next day, day and a half, you pushed a little too hard. And so I always encourage them, hey, use the stoplight rule. Um, and I'll send them like a little blog article or something I wrote about that just so they understand that of how to progress things in the gym themselves. But then finding the hardest thing that they do well, because we want enough of a stimulus 
to procure a change, but not so much of a stimulus that you're just pissing everything off because too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? Like I could have you do some, you know, some banded Ys for that lower trap and you're like, oh, this feels good. I'm like, all right, do, you know, 200 more of those. That's going to piss your shoulder off. Yeah, It's a good exercise, but too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And so there's a dosage component of that and so many variables that you can affect. And so you should always be working hard. It's just are, get creative, get, get curious of what's the hardest thing that you can do to provide the intended stimulus for that, that exercise or that movement. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I noticed, uh, what, you know, the doctor looked at me and everything. He goes, yeah, your, you know, your bicep tendon is fine. I said, yeah, you know, I noticed I'm pretty good with curling something. And when yeah. I um, say, let's say I have a 15 pound dumbbell, I could, I could curl that pretty yeah. well. But I notice when I go up to 20, um, I start to tweak the shoulder a little bit, just a little bit. And then, and then, and then you know, I said, okay, I won't go over 15 right now. I don't want to feel that. Um, why would I be feeling something as the weight goes up on that curl? Is it because I'm starting to recruit some of the shoulder into it? Is that what's happening? Get yourself some sandbags or some weight vests or some cool fitness apparel at freedomstrength.us. Go to freedomstrength.us. When you make your purchase, use the discount code SMN10 to receive your discount. Perhaps. And I mean, if you think about the connections of, of the bicep, you know, long head of the bicep goes up to the, the top of that, that socket. Right. And so um, that's, I mean, it's literally attaching like right here under oh, that area. Okay. And yes. So, right. Um, yeah. So like if you just kind of follow the the anatomy lines and stuff, okay, heavier bicep integration is going to put a lot more stress on that superior, you know, glenoid aspect. And that can affect some of the mechanics up there. And so then things that you could change, you're like maybe, you know, three sets of, you know, 15 pounds, three sets of 10 is not giving you as much stimulus. But if you bump it up to 20 pounds that's too much it's like okay well what if you doubled the volume or what if you shortened the rest cycle or what happens if now you lay backwards on a on an inclined bench and you're doing those from a different angle or you do preacher curls at that 15 pounds like how many different ways can you change that up to where you're working really really hard while not pissing all of this off that's awesome and it's okay for a person to kind of intuitively choose these exercises um, provided they're not hurting themselves? Yeah, and, and typically it's okay. And I, I'm very cautious about giving a, a full, like, yes, 100% of the time. Yeah, right. Uh, an absolute answer because there are exceptions to the rules and um, there are people that just don't use common sense sometimes. And they'd be like, well, I said I could do anything. And so I, I tell people to have cautious curiosity. Mm -hmm. with their body like be cautious be conservative like if i have done my job if your physical therapist if your orthopedic physician has done their job they have heavily educated you on what's going on so you have a working knowledge of, of what's going on in that shoulder you've got a working knowledge of hey when i do this this hurts this hurts this hurts so then you go into the gym and you're going to have a list of like well don't do this don't do this don't do this right now and then the rest of it is just playing around um, yeah. It's like, okay, let's do this. And you can work with your physical therapist too. Like all of my patients have my personal phone number and I get text messages all the time saying, Hey, I did this, this hurts. Could I switch it up this way? And I'm like, absolutely do it. Let me know how it goes. Um, 
And so having that medical team, um, having like your A team for you and being able to communicate with them in real time is probably the, the best thing in the world during a rehab process because you want that insight and something that you may think is going to be completely fine like you know benching 225 tomorrow um, may have some horrible consequences and you're like what the hell just happened and um, if you would have been able to connect with with your people and I know you weren't going to do that tomorrow I know you're being sarcastic earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. but if, if like you had that question of like is this a good idea well let me let me text yeah. this guy let me make a phone call and be like it's a horrible idea don't do that and this yeah. is why yeah, that's the idea. What, what you're talking about here, um, like I didn't get my phone, I didn't get a phone number from my PT guy. Like I don't have any way of like I could call the like the one eight hundred number and maybe yeah. leave a message and when he's done with his next client, he could call me back. But mm -hmm. like you're saying, like, hey man, yeah, if you got a question, just text me. I'd yeah. love that. That is yeah. awesome that you do that. And I do recall in our last podcast. You were talking about how you connect with your clients, uh, you know, really like um, it, like it sounds like you're making friends with people. <laughs> it's it's it really it's awesome. relational. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the two different setups are like there's a volume issue. Like I've been in a, in a system where you're seeing a lot of people during a day. And I don't want like if I'm I think my record is seeing 35 patients in an eight hour day. Oh, my and God. Okay, multiply that by, you know, however many patients on my current schedule and people who have discharged who still have my number. It's like, I don't want you to have my number. <laughs> like, that's not okay. And, um, but in the, the model that I'm in currently, I don't like seeing more than like six people in a day because it's all one-on-one. -on -one. It's very focused work. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy for you to have my phone number. Um, I encourage you to reach out. Um, and not just stop. Um, I don't see people nearly as frequently as I would in a, in a typical PT model because they have that communication and I have the time to give them the education so that they can become better managers of themselves. Because like, I'm not going to go to the gym with you and count reps every single day. It's like, you're going to have, you need some degree of autonomy and you need some working knowledge of this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing this. I could increase this and this is a good idea or, or not because of this. And so my job as a guide is, is to equip you um, to be able to help make those decisions as I'm walking through this process with you. And so, yeah, having that connection is huge. And there are a lot of physical therapists out there that work in a very similar model to what I work with. There's a lot of physicians that work in a very similar model. It's just doing your homework and finding those and finding a good fit, somebody who understands you and what you need to get back to doing in life. Um, and yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. That's excellent. Now what, uh, when do we bring a steel club, a steel mace into this yeah. uh, treatment of this injury? I'm dying to know. I'm, I, I, I had a lot of patience here right now, not to just jump the gun. Like I want to start using it right now. I get it. There's other things I got to do first. Mm -hmm. Uh, we covered that a little bit, but how and when, can we use, yeah. say, a three-pound club or uh, a five-pound little mace or something like that? Sure. And so it all depends on the, the exercise selection with it. Because, like, you can lift a 15-pound dumbbell right now. Like, you, you can do curls with a mace, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's fine. That's mace work. Um, like your 360s or whatever. Like, those ain't happening for a little while. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. Okay. Now, why, though? Why? I understand. 
but why if if swinging a mace is so good for us why why do i have to put it off for so long yeah so when you're swinging a mace and you're going through this this full ballistic motion the degree of stability but also the degree of dynamic stability has to be very high so your muscles are having to stabilize in real time and react in real time to this weighted ball going around your body and so the stability demands are high and i think that's why the the mace is such a great tool because it can it can bulletproof your shoulders it can injury proof yourself because it is such a high level thing um you know versus i don't know, doing like strict shoulder presses where it's just super super slow and super controlled like your body's like moving fast with these like 360s and so with the understanding of how your shoulder works. And we talked about those four joints in the shoulder and how there's stability components and there's gonna be compensations now that you don't have that ligament. Things have to build up, things have to compensate. They've got to grow some degree of resiliency in the tissues. Um, and so and it's, it's one of those things too, of like, don't do it a month afterwards. Um, it depends how, how how bad the injury is as well because uh, it's all going to yeah. be different but you know get to the point you know maybe do you know month month and a half out you know like do do some stretches like overhead like see how those are feeling you know pull it forward you know just going back and then i'm um, just kind of work into it but be cautiously curious it's like yeah you're gonna get back to it um like you will 100 get back to swinging a steel mace yeah. there's just a time component that you have to be patient because there is, a, there is a healing process that has to be respected that you cannot speed up. There's lots of things you can do to slow it down, but there's a, just this base level of healing process that has to take place. And that's the hardest thing with working with my athletes and working with my active people or people who just have things that they got to do, like moms and dads, like the stuff they put your body through just to handle your kids. It's like, well, I've got five kids at the house and they're crying and it's like, I'm going to pick them up. It's like, well, that's going to maybe slow or hinder healing a little bit, but that's okay because your kids have to survive. So there's like parts of your job that you can't just take off. And um, so it's just respecting the process as much as you can, being, being humble, being hungry, being cautious, and being curious with what you're doing. And uh, everybody's time frame is a little bit different. And so somebody like you who's in pretty good shape, who swings, or, uh, swings the mace and does a lot of shoulder stuff, like you're going to bounce back a lot faster than somebody who doesn't have the history and just foundation that you do. So that's encouraging. Can you dive into that just a little bit more as to why, in other words, why, why am I going to bounce back? Why are my shoulders um, like we're talking mechanics now, like physically what's happening in the shoulders when a person has a fitness routine using steel clubs, steel mace, rotational movements, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you've trained your body and your body has created muscle. It has created adaptations, neurologic adaptations, muscular adaptations, uh, motor control adaptations that are higher than your general person. And, um, you know, take somebody who has never done a steel mace or has never worked out before. Um, say they have a surgery or say they have a major injury. Well, that re-education portion of how to get those muscles firing, it's a new skill. 
like a lot of people will come in after like a low back surgery and they've never lifted in their life. And it's like, all right, I got to teach you how to deadlift. You have no clue how to deadlift. You have no clue how to access these deep core muscles. You have no idea how to do this and this and this. And they can intellectually understand it, but it is such a difficult thing to teach somebody a new task. And so there's a task learning that you already have um, and you have been training this. So you've got the hypertrophy component. Um, that is already there. Like you didn't all of a sudden lose muscle mass in your shoulder the second that you injured it. Things are injured. Things are tight and pissed off a little bit, well, but you still have that. Wait mass. a minute. I, I did lose my swole though. You <laughs> lost the pump. <laughs> I lost, my pump went right out of me. <laughs> I said, where'd it go? <laughs> yeah. It is, it is wild how fast it comes back though. It's, it's like, and I don't, know the science a lot but you hear a lot about like muscle memory of guys who you know meatheads back in the day and they jump in the gym and all of a sudden they just pop right back and uh so it, it's i see that all the time as well and like yeah you're going to lose a degree of muscle mass just because you're not doing the things that you were doing every single day that's that's part of it and there's lots of cool things that you can do to uh, to help kind of increase that muscle mass have you heard much about blood flow restriction training uh, I haven't heard much about it, but I've heard a little bit about it. It does sound interesting. Do, can you talk about that? Sure. So blood flow restriction training, um, you'll hear it called like BFR. The idea is that you are occluding blood flow from a limb. And so you'll see these people with, with things kind of in their upper arm or their upper thigh, and they're at certain percentages. So um, if I'm remembering correctly, it might be like an 80% occlusion to each arm. And each of these units has what's called a Doppler on them. And so it's tracking how much blood flow is being um, going through the arm and it's making micro adjustments as you work out. And so the idea behind blood flow restriction training is that when you are working out, you enter this anaerobic glycolysis much faster because blood carries oxygen. If you're stopping oxygen and blood flow from coming into the arm, your body has to revert to this anaerobic glycolysis to produce energy, right? One of the byproducts of anaerobic glycolysis is your lactic acid. So that's the pump, that's the, the burning feeling that you have. Well, what happens if you've got something blocking everything up here and you're working, well, you're just accumulating lactic acid and it's not escaping into the rest of your body. And so you get this build of lactic acid in your body and what your body does in response to the levels of lactic acid is pretty incredible because it's it's sensing stress it's sensing like metabolic stress muscle breakdown all of that stuff and so it uses the degree of lactic acid as um, kind of like a barometer almost this is like okay you are destroying yourself this much i'm going to send this much IGF-1, this much growth hormone, this much this, all to that area so that I can heal and recover. So when you're adding this blood flow restriction, you're essentially tricking your body to thinking that it's working a lot harder than it actually is. So then your body might respond with you lifting a 15 pound dumbbell as if you were lifting a 50 pound dumbbell. And the muscle hypertrophy, the ligament healing, the tendon healing, it is expedited and accelerated beyond all belief. I think one of the, the big studies that they like to showcase with BFR when done properly is they took all these untrained people and trained them for three months on a hypertrophy program. Like, let's get you as swole as possible in the next three months. Then they hooked people up to the blood flow restriction training. They said, we're not, we're going to train you 
three days a week um, for like a 30 minute session. And you're not going to lift more than 20% of your one rep max. So very, very lightweight. And then they tracked them every single week to see when do those lines intersect in terms of the hypertrophy gains. It took them about three weeks to cross those lines. And um, so three weeks compared to like three months of a hypertrophy program. And um, so you can accelerate muscle growth repair quite quickly. Now it does kind of like shoot up and then it flat lines after a couple of months. Like you can't be doing this all the time. But so it works perfectly in a rehab scenario. Um, you see a lot of the NFL and the NBA doing it as a lot of preseason training. They'll do it once a once a year for you know two months or so. All their guys will throw on BFR just to get stronger and to get preparation for the season. I don't know off the top of my head the studies for the AC joint and ligament healing. I know it can heal a lot of cool things. There's a lot of studies of how if you're blocking it here at the arm, that proximally that you get a lot of the, the beneficial effects as well. I just off the top of my head do not recall anything specifically to the AC joint. But um, it's something that not a lot of places have. Um, you can definitely seek it out and find it, but it's going to require at minimum two to three days a week of working with these things. But the science is incredibly strong behind blood flow restriction training. That it sounds so hardcore. Like it's you're, super you're, what you're, you know, you're you're squeezing the the blood supply off basically. Yep. Um, and you said there's a Doppler on there? There is. And um, I guess I should make the safety plug. Of don't go take a, a band and wrap your arm super tight because you think it's going to do something cool. Um, you're going to have nerve injuries. People have had nerve injuries and they come in and it's like, oh, I'm trying to recreate the blood flow. And he's like, don't do that. Like, um, That's what I thought people were doing. I thought people yeah. were buying these bands. They were just a band. And yeah. um and they would put it there and that's all. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah. so this is way more high tech than, than way that. more high tech. Yeah. You've got real time adjustments and things. There's it's safety. There's protocols that go behind it. Hey, here's, here's the weight that you want to do. It, it's much more technical than I'm just going to wrap a band around my arm and just do, you know, a set of 21s with curls. And uh, so if you're a gym rat, best, bit, if you want to do this as a gym rat, no, no insult to the intelligence of a gym rat. I, I am one of those. Um, but you're better off hooking up with professionals that have this equipment. It's probably expensive too. So you, you go to them and they're going to train you properly. They're going to know how to do it. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Best bet is always to go with where the technology is, where you can be objective and tracking. Because if you're just tying something or tightening the belt around the arm, you have no clue how much blood flow you're occluding. Um, also like with the width of it, you know, if it's, you know, a pretty narrow thing, well, there's going to be a lot more just surface area pressure and that's where you can get some of the nerve injuries. Right. And so you've got these, this equipment that's been tested, your objective, you know, that I'm getting this percentage included every single time. This is in line with the research. Here's the protocols. And it was designed, um, from our U S military, actually, like it's, it's been going on for years. If you look it up. Um, the term is called Katsu, K-A-A-T-S-U. It originated in, I want to say Japan several years ago, and it was like their best kept secret up until about 15 years ago when the U.S. military stumbled upon it. And then um, they brought it here, kind of fine-tuned things and spit out. I mean, there's probably close to 
10,000 plus research articles at this point on it. And then they released it to the public six, seven, eight years ago. Um, and so that's when I got trained on it. And I was like, this is really cool. And then like the NBA picked it up and ESPN did like a special on it. And they're like, what is this new thing? This is incredible. And expediting healing recovery times. And um, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. If NBA, NFL are doing these things, I consider them like the NASA of fitness. You know, they, they are not wasting their time with their athletes. There's too much money involved and they're going to use things they're they're, they're going to try things of course but if it's if it's not panning out they're going to scrap it and move on to the next thing uh, so that that is a, a really strong endorsement now uh all the testing all the research is based upon like typical weightlifting stuff uh bicep curls squats deadlifts anything like that any research on swinging a steel mace while occluding the blood? Man, I think we need to do a research study <laughs> or find somebody that wants to do it. I don't think there's anything with, with steel I'll mace restriction. Yeah, put you in contact with the right people. Let's do it, man. <laughs> I want to see. I mean, seriously, yeah. because, I mean, we know that swinging a steel mace isn't like, well, let's say if you want to get big biceps, swinging a steel mm -hmm. mace isn't necessarily the the right tool for the job but right. if you're occluding the blood in your biceps and it this is sort of like a shortcut i would mm -hmm. assume the little bit that you're using your biceps it might actually help yeah stands for reason if stands anybody else for... has done that out there come on the podcast and let me know otherwise yeah, i'm super curious now too of like what what are the studies behind that because steel mace has been around forever yeah yeah i like it so that's that's um, it, now. Are you saying that I should possibly look into this for my shoulder injury, or don't worry about that right now? I think maybe, maybe keep that in the back of your mind, um, just because I'm not confident of what the research says about AC joints. Like I know there, yeah. like I said, there, there's some data pointing towards proximal muscle um, changes with that as well. It's just I, I don't want to tell you something and you get all excited and be like, I got to go do some BFR. This is what I got to do. Um, yeah, keep it in the back of your mind because it is something that is is very effective for a lot of things. And the research is so strong behind that. And it's, uh, it's still relatively new. So there's not a lot of people that are going to have it or have exposure to it or know too much about it. Okay. Um, but it is pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I – Want to talk about, you know, um, you know, rest, um, what to do after you exercise, you know, dealing with inflammation and stuff. But I didn't want to jump the gun to go to that. Is there anything else we need to talk about as far as physically training uh, an AC tear? Yeah, um, there, there's one thing that I'm thinking of. A lot of people can benefit from tape. So there is something called or McConnell tape. It's a, it's a stability taping that you can do that provides some support to that AC joint. And if that, that's something that you can YouTube or Google. And there's going to be a million different styles out there. I'll tell people, just find one that works for you. Go buy some tape. And what it does, it just it creates some joint stability. So as you're going through this rehab process and you're 
ligaments aren't stabilizing as much as they should, throwing some tape on the shoulder and helping kind of lock down that joint while you're trying to strengthen. Do you want to turn your pain into power? Then look no further than sleepymonkeytrainingacademy.com. Go to sleepymonkeytrainingacademy.com for meditation, mobility, and mace. Sleepy Monkey is a movement art that brings strength and balance to the body and mind. Located in Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. If you're in uh, New Jersey, you're in that portion of um, Pennsylvania, you're close enough that you could go visit. But start off by going to Sleepy Training Acad SleepyMonkeyTrainingAcademy.com and check it out. Uh, there's shirts you could buy, and uh, you could send a message to Andrew over there, who is the owner, and you could, uh, you know, talk with him and see if his fitness system is right for you. His fitness system is unique. He has a certain way of practicing. Like I said, there's meditation and uh, he he handles people doing massages and things like that, but he also trains mace and other things like that. But you got to go to sleepymonkeytrainingacademy.com to get started. All right, guys. Enjoy the podcast. That's That's typically something that's helpful. I've seen athletes wearing that stuff, and they've been doing it for a long time now. So I would think it's something that's actually that that's usable. Certainly. Any possibility that this tape could be used as a hack to swing more weight with your mace? <laughs> oh, as long as you're conservatively curious. <laughs> I, li yeah. I like that answer. All right. <laughs> Again, we're not telling anybody to do that. <laughs> But I'm always looking for the next trick, you know, man. So, all right. Uh, so now um, I'm doing uh, some laser therapy on my shoulder where uh, they're using a, a grade four laser, which I think is the, the latest and greatest that are at, that's out there. And the chiropractor is just, you know, working around the, the shoulder injury. Uh, it's supposed to help blood flow to the area. But then he tells me, um, you know, ice it down too. So sure. um, I always thought that I, I thought we were getting away from icing things down. Is, is am I mistaken? Nope. And it's yeah. The all the data kind of points towards more heat than ice lately. Um, you've heard rice like rest, ice, compression, elevation. Like that's been around forever. Yeah. The person who did that research article recanted that, and it's like, hey. This isn't nearly as effective as we thought. And so they're trying to coin. Uh, did we talk about this on the last episode? I don't remember. I, I think we might have, I, but it's okay. We can repeat well, it. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll rehash it because they're trying to recoin something different. And um, the best they've landed on so far is meth. So instead of <laughs> rice, you do meth, M-E-T-H, movement, elevation, traction, and heat. And I was like, you know, it's it's catchy, but it's not it's not sticking. <laughs> God forbid somebody takes that the wrong way. Hey, you need some right. meth. You gotta go yeah. get some meth. Oh, all right, he told me to get meth. I, there's this guy over here under the bridge yeah. I could get it from. <laughs> but man, yeah, yeah, he's kind of the way to go, um, especially in the first like 72 hours post injury. Um, everything is saying like, do not use ice. It is going to blunt the healing response like if you've got so much swelling that is causing tissue damage like use some ice that's fine 
But if there's not a crazy amount of swelling, do not use ice, do not use NSAIDs for the first 72 hours if you can handle it. Yeah. After that, um, what's recommended is more of a contrast. So you can throw some ice on it, then throw some heat on it, throw some ice, throw some heat. So you're just getting this nutrient exchange and you're helping pump bad things out and you're helping bring good things in. So I'm cool with, with the contrast. Um, finish off with heat is my general is my general uh, recommendation for people. But if, if ice feels good, roll with it. Like that, that's, that's fine. Heat has a lot more data behind it. If you're just using it as a pain, as a way to like calm down pain, like that's fine. Um, heat can calm down pain too. It's not as effective sometimes, um, but it does bring in a lot of the blood flow and in a lot of the good nutrients. Yeah, well, I could tell you uh, in my years of bumps and bruises and falls and everything like that, I I've put ice on a lot of things and I never thought highly of it at all. Like I would put ice on my knee, ice on my shin, whatever. And it just felt cold and uncomfortable. And it's and then once like the numbness wore off, which is like maybe a minute, uh, yeah. the pain was still there. And I always just was like, yeah, it doesn't really do much. And yeah. Uh, people were saying, oh, put some ice on your shoulder. And I'm like, I don't want to put ice on my shoulder right now. But you yeah. also mentioned don't use NSAIDs. And I remember um, watching something where they were saying, after you get done weightlifting, you create inflammation in your body. And mm -hmm. if you take an NSAID, you eliminate the inflammation, which thereby you may also be reducing how you recover you're not right. going to build back muscle better and everything. So a little bit of inflammation is the body's way of saying, hey, we're going to heal because it's drawing blood to that area. Certainly, certainly. And I think there's a lot of chatter around that right now with all this cold exposure where, you know, you're getting like the plunge and all that stuff, which is fantastic for so many reasons. And one of the things that's, that's cautioned is you don't want to stay submerged in that water or that cold tank or whatever it is for more than like three or four minutes post-workout because exactly like you said, you're going to blunt the inflammatory response. You're going to blunt your body's ability to rebuild. So you're just negating a lot of what you just did in the gym. Um, what the general recommendation is now, I want to say four hours post-workout, um, you can go hang out in a, in a plunge as long as you want to hang out in an ice bath as long as you want to, and you're not going to mess with the workout. But within that four hours, don't jump in that for longer than three, maybe four minutes. And um, yeah, those are those are getting uber popular now. Uh, I'm a believer in them. I, I love it. I'm trying to figure out how to build one of my own um, for my backyard. I just got to get my wife on board for that. But have you heard, I was thinking about this too a minute ago. Have you looked much into red light therapy? Um, like infrared? Yeah, like infrared and near infrared. Um, I actually, there's a cryo studio, um, yeah. and I went in there. They have an infrared, like a like it's a sauna. Like you sit in there yeah. with like your your bathing suit on or whatever or whatever a towel, and you start sweating and you got these infrared lights. Um, felt really good when I was doing it, but I've never done much more than that. I, I took it that the laser therapy I'm doing on my shoulder is is similar. It's going to be similar. I believe it goes a little bit deeper, but there, uh, for the longest time, red light therapy was kind of seen as a fringe science because yeah. it had all these claims of like, you know, beautify your skin or heal faster or whatever, but they've started researching it more and more lately. 
and the things that it can do for, for tendon repair and ligament repair, like it, it penetrates the cells and it activates the mitochondria of your cell, which is like the, the engine of your cell. So whatever that cell's job is to do is enhanced. And the only thing with that is it has to be done consistently. It's not like a one and done. I do it once every week. Um, it's something that you want to do for, you know, 15, 20 minutes plus, you know, multiple days out of the week. And I've got a unit at my house. Um, it's a Cozy Health is the brand name. And it is an awesome unit. And I know when I use that regularly, my recovery is a lot faster. Um, a lot a lot of things have improved. And it's, it's hard to be objective, I think, with it. Um, but I do note that whenever I use it consistently, a lot of things start going my way positively. And they're using it for wound care in hospitals. They're using it for, um, I mean, a lot of like recovery zones and especially like Major League Baseball for like shoulder injuries and stuff. And so that's kind of a life hack that is pretty easy to have it stack. Like I'll have it at my house. And if I'm like doing some reading in the morning or something, um, I'll just throw the light on and you know, throw my shirt off, throw the light on, um, get my red light for the day. So you but just that, sit in, you just sit with the light beating over you, like it, it just you're it lights up the room basically, and you're just sitting in the light. So do you feel heat coming off of it or not? It does warm up the skin a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And depending on how big That's of nice. unit you've got, I know um, they've got some big panels, and they've got you know even you know like really small ones like that. That's just you could just like hold it right there. Um, I've got one probably about that big by like that big and it's on a stand and so you can angle it whatever way you want to. And so, um, yeah, that's something that I use a lot. And I know um, that brand, I researched a lot into that brand before buying because there are a few that um, Cozy Health is one of the like top red light therapy brands out there. And there's, it's a cool product. I really like it. I'll look into that. Yeah. So now with... Um... If I'm if I'm exercising my shoulder and let's just say I'm using like a three pound dumbbell and it's challenging and I'm I'm just you know doing some light stuff with it and then I notice maybe 15, 20 minutes after I get done, I feel it feels a little painful, it feels a little worked up, angry, as you said, but that's a very good term, angry. Um yeah. so what you're saying is don't jump on hitting it with ice right there. Wait maybe three or four hours, but right, yeah. right away, start heating it up. Yeah. And it, sh it should already be warm. Um, I just like going, you know, some light movement traction is something that's good. So there's something called like arm pendulum. So you just hold a, a weight in your hand and maybe lean over. Like you're going to do a, um, like a single arm row yeah. and you're just going to let the arm dead hang and kind of rotate it in circles. That's going to provide like some joint traction and it's going to help calm things down. But I always go to, um, Again, that, that stoplight um, analogy of a yellow light is like, hey, that's okay. If it doesn't calm back down in a day, day and a half or so, maybe push a little too hard. Yeah. And uh, don't don't freak out. It's easy to get nervous when you're like, oh, I feel this. I was like, well, yeah, you just did a workout. Um, things right. are kind of injured and things are a little goofy and it's it's sensitized. Like the, the entire area is sensitized because it is injured. And so it's just listening to your body. It's a really loose framework of green light, red light, yellow light, but um, just paying attention to your body. How did that respond? Like, okay, yeah. I remember last time I did this, it got a little angry after I did it, but it cleared up within a couple hours. That's fine. You're doing more more good than, than bad at that point. Okay, good. Yeah. So that's kind of like me, you know, um, you know, I'll 
do something and then afterwards I'm or the next day even I'm like, Ooh, that's that's bothering me, but I yeah. don't use it that day. I rest it. It's day off. Yeah. Go for a walk, you know, something like that. Well, I'll tell you Yeah. You mentioned uh sensitized. Um and I'll tell you, maybe you've heard this before. The skin, right where the injury happened, it feels like you know when you get sick and your whole skin feels like yep. real, like, like don't touch me. That's that injury site is lit up like that. I can feel it right now, just gently rubbing the area. The skin yep. is hypersensitive. What is that? Is that the nerve endings like just hyper tingling? And we can even go like more more simplistic to that of your brain is is built to survive. You know, like if if our body like if we're dead we're we're no good to anybody so it's like survival 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 so it's constantly on the lookout for anything that is threatening to your existence so once it deems once your brain deems something as threatening it pulls a parking brake um, to keep you from doing anything stupid and that might look like pain that might look like uh, muscle tightness that might look like numbness or even weakness and so all it is is it's a protective mechanism from your body saying there's something going on that is threatening to our survival. And I'm going to let you know about that. And, uh, but much like, you know, like a home alarm system, it can kind of get off beat a little bit. It can become uncalibrated. And so you might calibrate your home alarm system to where if somebody breaks down my door or somebody breaks a window, my alarm goes off. But what happens when it becomes uncalibrated or sensitized is, well, maybe now, you know, a cat that's walking across my front yard sets off my alarm. Um, so there's no real danger, but since it's sensitized, since it's miscalibrated, it's going to fire off a lot sooner. Than that. And so all it takes is a recalibration. And as things heal, as things kind of calm down, your brain is going to start evolving and thought process on this because it's a very, like, it, it moves. Your brain is always changing and addressing things and so yeah things will continue to desensitize as things heal like you had a major injury and your body's letting you know um and it, it's protecting you the best that it knows how but it's going to continue to evolve and how it communicates how common is an ac tear is it something that you see a lot of the tears are typically going to be a traumatic thing so um yeah, snowboarding, falling down the stairs, tripping and falling. It's just like falling like right on that point of the shoulder. Like that's just something that happens a lot. Most commonly in my office, if, it, if it's not a trauma-induced thing, it's going to be a compensation strategy that somebody has. Like um, a lot of my power lifters will come in and be like, man, it just hurts right here. And be like, oh, you got an AC joint strain. And you start looking and be like, oh, your thoracic mobility is junk. Like, oh, you've got no ability to fire that lower trap. Your serratus anterior is really weak on this side. Like, those are the three. That's what I talked about earlier. Those are the three primary things that I'm looking at that are typically the problem. And so thoracic mobility, lower trap, serratus anterior. And so, like, so, and then I'll explain to them the mechanics just like I did earlier. It's like, hey, when your thoracic spine isn't moving as much as it should, that scapula is forced to move more than it should. And so then that's going to create a lot of stress at this point. Or if, you know, you're not stabilizing down through here, that scapula is going to tilt forward, put a lot of stress on that AC joint. So then it's a matter of identifying what contributing factors caused that, that that wasn't a traumatic injury. We start working on that. And so helping them understand like, okay, 
you improve your thoracic mobility, it's going to take a ton of stress off your shoulder. It's going to let it heal. Um, if you work on this and work on this, like less stress on your shoulder, it's going to heal. That's how you got yourself into the place, into this place in the first time, in the first case. So, and that, that's really one of the big things that I do when people come in with pain, because most of the time it's not a traumatic origin. It's like, yeah. hey, this started hurting. Uh, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. And now I can't not pay attention to it. And it's keeping me from doing the things that I love. So then you look and it's like, well, what compensations do you have? How are you moving inefficiently? You create a problem list for them. You start dealing with those problems one by one. And the pain is just a byproduct. Everything calms down. And so that's, that's probably the most common thing that I see in the clinic as a non-traumatic AC joint injury. Because I don't really mess with a lot of like post-surgical stuff or um, a lot of times people will go to their orthos right after um, and be like, oh, this is this, this is what I should do. And so I'm just not at the point where I'm, I've, I guess maybe I've connected to the right people um, to see those traumatic injuries because uh, it's very much so more of a weightlifting slow burn, if you will, that come into my office at this time. Yeah, like uh, a lot of micro tears and and um, like a long long term use injuries where people just pound themselves ceaselessly for for like two decades and then they're like, hey, my shoulders are messed up. <laughs> it's like a surprise, <laughs> and I mean that's why like I've been throwing around an idea of you know, just like you go to the dentist twice a year for a cleaning, like, why don't we do that with our movement professionals? Like, why don't we go into yes. our physical therapist that knows weightlifting? Okay, I'm going to assess your squat. I'm going to assess your deadlift. I'm going to look at every single joint, joint by joint, and see and list your inefficiencies. And, you know, I, I can guide you um, to making those less efficient. But then once you're just checked up routinely, you don't run into these chronic problems. You address things upstream before you're in the rapids or before you're at the waterfall. And so that's something I'm really seriously considered in stating is just wellness checkups with people. Hey, come in twice a year. If you need to get on for a few more sessions after that to have some more hand, some more guiding to correct those things, let's do it. Um, so I, I think that would be cool. I think that'd be a lot yeah, of fun. Now that you mentioned this, this just makes me think like if you're somebody in the gym, you work out regularly, you're like, I know what I'm doing, but you notice your squat, is causing some discomfort. Um, yeah. you're, you're not able to like do the weight you were doing last week a little bit. It, it's not like a major injury, but you could go to your doctor and be like, hey, you know, I was doing squats. I've been doing squats for 25 years. And I all of a sudden I noticed like, I feel this thing in my knee. I feel this thing in my back. Uh, maybe I need some PT. And the doctor is probably gonna be like, yeah, go get some PT. And guess what? Now you got healthcare. You're going to PT and it's get taken care of uh, through your, your medical. Um, that's what it's there for. Like you just said, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a way to tighten up. Now you come in and sit, you know, talk with your PT. Oh, I noticed when I squat, my knees bother me. All right, well, let's, let's go through the process. And then next thing, you know, you're back to squatting, you're adding the weight back on and you're crushing and at your game again. Yeah. And it's awesome because one, it's going to be a lot less time demands to, to fix that kind of stuff. It's going to be a lot right. less expensive. And like, we don't know the compensations that we have. And it's just like, let's be as efficient as a human being as we can be. And then all of a sudden you're hitting PRs because you don't have nearly as many force leaks in right. your body. So, oh, my body's working efficiently. I can lift more weight. 
And that's, those are the, the most fun text messages I get. Like I'll be working with somebody with low back pain hurts when I squat, you know, work with them a few weeks. They text me, Hey, I just hit a PR. Yeah. Like who told you to hit a PR? Like we're still in the rehab. Cover. Like I just felt good. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Keep doing the right, keep doing the right things. Yeah. So it just becomes fun. And um, I mean, human movement is incredibly complex and a lot of times people just need an outside pair of eyes. Like I was working with a, power lifter the other day kept on hurting his back um squatting dude strong as anything i was like well let's come in and let's look at your your squat had a couple little movement faults we spent about 45 minutes just working on squat form tweaking it. and this is a guy who's a competitive power lifter he's been lifting for years squatting for years he's probably been squatting the same way the entire time and it was just this little right. movement variation and, but he was also somebody that routinely threw his back out at least once or twice a year. And I was like, that's why. Uh, so this is how we correct it. And so, yeah, just using your PT as, as a resource, even if you are somebody who's been squatting for the last 25 years, is like they might see something that, that you don't see. Uh, you might be doing great. And it's good to know that. Yeah, and you might as well go to your PT when it's a very minor thing than keep yeah. working through the pain for six months like ah, it'll get better on its own and then friggin it doesn't and now yeah. you're really going to your pt because you can't even friggin walk right anymore or something like that i mean it's just yeah. you know you gotta just think a little bit like well this injury is nagging me even though it's little i mean guys do this all the time you don't have any times i'd be working out with people like ah these dips uh ah, my elbow and it's like well why don't you get checked out eh, it's always been like that well, it's going to yeah. get worse, man. Come on. Think yeah. about it. It's going to get worse. I saw meme or something the other day where this person went to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, how much pain are you in uh, today? He goes, oh, just the normal amount. You're like, the normal amount is zero. <laughs> right. Like, that's, that's not normal to be hurting. And we just almost like glorified it as a, as a lifting athletic yeah. culture of just like we're always going to be bumped up and bruised and i don't know if there's a pride component of it of just like you know i pushed through and yeah i've always got cranky shoulders or whatever it is it's like that's just stupid and just arrogant it's like yeah. we're not supposed to hurt you should be able to to grind as hard as you can and have zero pain yeah. that's how we're built to, to operate i don't know <laughs> so david I, I think what i'm hearing here is um I have to be patient. I have to be prudent. I have to allow the healing process. I can't go swing my mace tonight. I was hoping right. after this phone call, I was going to be friggin' swinging. <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's going to take a little bit more time. I'm hoping that by early June, I should be able to enter this uh, mace competition that they're going to have down in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, and yep. uh, I think I should be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's you know, mid-February. I think I should be able to at least enter the competition, even if it's a lighter weight and just, you yeah. know, do it for shits and giggles, right? That sounds doable. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, buy my ticket then. Love it. <laughs> it's going to keep me on my toes to make sure I rehab myself and uh, start feeling better again. So, David, anything else uh, that you think you could add in for this, or did we kind of hit the the wall on all the information? Yeah, I, I think we've covered a lot of it. It's just um, you know connecting with a PT who has your goals in mind, a PT that's not afraid to 
to pump the brakes for you, but it was also not afraid to, to pump the gas pedal for you as well. And right. you know, at, at first it's protect, 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 um, figure out your inefficiencies, start attacking those. And then it's just slowly and incrementally increasing the, the demand and load as things heal. But yeah, patience for one of these things is probably the toughest thing to, to slow yourself down. I don't know if you, can, if you see over my shoulder at the dumbbell rack. Yeah. There's pink dumbbells there. Those are cute. They're three pounds. That's what yeah. I'm doing right now. That's okay. <laughs> I knew they it's would come though. in handy. <laughs> it's like, why did you make them pink? Like, do you, do you want people using them? Well, my nine-year-old uh, yeah, daughter. Is she okay with the pink dumbbells? Yeah, she's okay with them. She's like, why are you using them? I'm like, because I want to be like you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with pink dumbbells. Uh, it's, it's like the right exercise at the right time. That's that's the biggest thing and loading appropriately. And sometimes, yeah, it's a three-pound dumbbell that you need. Yeah. Um, it's just, what, are you, what are you doing with it? And are you getting the intended stimulus? That's I'm just is. grateful I could do that because, like I said, when I was up on the mountain, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Yep. I'm not going to do nothing with my arm ever again. It's going to look like a spaghetti noodle in, in a couple months. So I'm like, all right, three pounds is three pounds, man. Let's let's rock and roll here. I put on my heavy metal tunes to pump to. <laughs> I can't get swole oh, from that three-pound pink dumbbell, though. It just doesn't work. Do it's okay. It's a, it's a building block and a bridge to where yeah. you're at. But it is crazy how your brain will go to quite a, a dark place after an injury. I think that's something that needs to be respected and understood. But yeah, you're going to get past it. You're going to be swinging maces before you know it. And so I think understanding that bird's eye perspective, that uh, you know, 10,000 foot perspective, like, yeah, you're going to get past this. Your shoulders are going to be fine. Just do the right things and be patient. Now, I don't want to keep bothering you all the time. I know you, you have to run your practice and, you know, you jumping on these Zoom calls with me for the podcast is awesome. I think you're you're delivering great information. But, you know, as I get down further down the road and I start noticing I'm able to use Mason clubs a little bit more effectively, I would love to have you come back on to more, speak more specifically to that point. Like, okay, now, Fred, you're at this point where we could start taking a five-pound club and doing A, B, C, and, and what we're hoping to achieve by doing it, you know, yeah. like get, get into something like that in the future. So yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. All right. Then expect, uh, expect to hear back from me pretty soon, I hope. And, uh, you know, sooner or later you'll hear back from me and then we'll get yeah. to that. So, uh, linchpin performance in Kentucky. Uh, what, what city are you in? We're in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Louisville. How did I, I forget that? They, they, that's where they make the baseball bats. That's where they make the baseball bats. You, yeah. you got one of those? Nope. <laughs> it's one of those things like you live you live in the city. It's like, I'm no. not going to go to the museum. Uh, I'm sure at one point in time I had one. To go get a baseball bat. You know, I yeah. just go to Models and get a baseball bat. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's where you're located. Anybody want to get in touch with David? He's a PT there. And um, you could contact him at Lynchpin Performance on Instagram, right? Any other information you want to throw out there? Your website or anything? Really, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Yeah, so just at Lynchpin Performance. Um, i got a website, lynchpinperformance.com. Um, I have all the information that you'll need to, to reach out and start a conversation about whatever's going on. All right. David, you are the man. I appreciate you. Uh, me picking your brain was so helpful. This is going to help me in so many ways. 
Um, I can't thank you enough. Everybody, thank you for tuning into this one. Expect more information down the pike on this. If you're suffering from, you know, an AC injury like I am, this could be a good way for you to at least get a grip on how you may need to approach it. And like I said earlier, you know, make sure you check with your doctor. All right, David. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. See you at the next one.